Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Fellowship Podcast. We hope this message will inspire, challenge, and encourage you to grow closer to Christ. If you're in the Anchorage area, we invite you to be our guest during our morning Sunday worship service at 11 a.m. For directions, or if you would like more information about us, please visit akmaranatha.com. If you'll tell the person that you're talking to, James chapter 3. All right. Joe's ready. Who else? Hey, the sooner we get going, the sooner you get a good lunch. Right? I hope you're not looking through the message. We want spiritual food first and then whatever else is for lunch. Amen. Thanks, Gary. I pre- I knew you'd be on board with that one. James chapter 3. Um, I'm going to start by confessing a sin. So I knew that'd get your attention <laughs> from when I was a child. All right. Um, when I was uh, When I was growing up, my kindergarten year, I went to public school and then my mom thought I was getting too worldly or something, and she uh, put me in the Christian school for three years, and, and something changed there. It was getting too expensive. I don't know what it was. and So she gave me a, another year, fourth grade, at the public school. And I want to tell you as a person who's gone to Christian schools and public schools, the vision is different at the Christian school, and that's really good. But sometimes the kids are not different <laughs> than at the public school, and uh, that uh, is unfortunate. But, um, but anyway... Um, that's why they need to be there, right? So in fourth grade, I had Mrs. Hurley, Mrs. Hurley, and Mrs. Hurley looked kind of surly. You can, like, rhyme, so you can keep that in mind. I, if I was clever enough, I might have called her Mrs. Surly, but she wasn't, she wasn't too bad of a teacher. Um, but I had some rotten kids in my class, and they convinced me, because they knew I could draw, so they convinced me to write this little paper on the draw on this little paper in big balloon type letters teachers suck and so i did that i didn't know what it meant and i drew it on the paper right about the time the teacher comes past and said what are you doing there mr kerr and she pulls that paper off my desk and sends it home and that led to a really uncomfortable conversation with my mom who told me the etymology of the word sucks and that wasn't very that wasn't very pleasant, and uh, I can remember just in relation to that, you know that wasn't very nice. But I think in relation to that, the number one and two rebukes that I received as a kid from my mom was that's not very nice, and you shouldn't say that. Anybody else have a mom like that? That's not very nice, and you shouldn't say that. Those two things, and you might think I had a problem with bad words. I, I didn't. I didn't even know what what I what I had drawn meant, but. No, uh, she didn't like me saying mean things to people or about people. And uh, I'm convinced that in the scheme of things, that what you say about people is far more serious than whether you use four-letter words or not. Will you hear me on this? I don't think Christians need to swear or say bad words. But I think what's far more serious in light of the command of love is what we say about people. Are you with me? I'm just trying to, I'm not trying to lower one. I'm trying to raise the other because sometimes we think if people say bad words, four-letter words, that 
it doesn't matter what else they say. Some people talk nice in some ways. They don't use the bad words, but they talk bad about people. And because those words violate the law of love, and my mom knew that, uh, we weren't allowed to say other words either in our house. I was telling Janie about that uh, the other day, that some crude words weren't there. But that really isn't the focus of this passage that we're going to read about taming the tongue, taming the tongue. In chapter 3 of James here, let's just read through the passage, then we'll point out some different parts here. Um, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly, and and not just by students who write bad things on papers, but by, by the Lord. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who never is never at fault in what he says is perfect, able to keep the whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example, although... They are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body and sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. I like how the KJV, it just kind of rolls off the tongue. This ought not so to be my brothers. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. And then he talks about in the following uh, passage, two kinds of wisdom, where that leads, uh, what causes fightings and how we're to remedy all of that. So, What's the hardest of all the disciplines, the Christian disciplines uh, in the Christian life? Is it prayer? Is is that the the hardest thing or Bible reading or witnessing? I think, think, uh, according to James 3, the hardest thing is being righteous in what we say. That's a very, very difficult thing. You know that every careless word will be judged. Jesus said so much. It's the careless ones that really reveal the heart, not the ones that have been planned and fitted for a conversation. We can shape words to uh, say things that manipulate people's impression about us. But when you're speaking off the cuff or carelessly, it reveals what's in the heart. Those honest words of the heart. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so here in James 3, there's a personification of the tongue as if it's its own entity, kind of it's kind of taken apart in a way and separated from the rest of us and evaluated and shown to be very destructive. It's sometimes, our, to- our tongue sometimes seems like it has a mind of its own, doesn't it? But it doesn't have its own mind. It has your mind. That's what the Bible says. Listen to what uh, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12. I like the way the NIV puts this. It says, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man 
brings evil things out of the bad or the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word that they've spoken. For by your words, you'll be acquitted and by your words, you'll be condemned. Okay, I want to mention four things and you'll notice I don't have a slide for this, but you'll notice that um, the beginning letters of each word spells the word scud. Does that ring a bell with anybody? Scud missile? Good. All right, we're tracking here. Scud is actually um, a verb that means to move quickly as if driven by wind or storm. That's like words, isn't it? They move quickly as if driven by wind, and that's that's exactly what they are. We were talking Wednesday night about um, about communication and how important words are and how it's, it's phenomenal that when we speak, we're creating vibrations and wind, and it passes over certain tones, and we've we're dealing with a collective agreement about what the symbols are, okay, in these words. And, and a person receives those in an auditory way and when everything's working as, as it should, as it was designed to, and then communication can happen. It's really phenomenal. But not only that, but it's really complicated too because sometimes you can say something that sounds like a compliment and it's actually an insult. And if we're not savvy on that or perceptive, we could miss it completely and that person has flung an insult at us and we didn't even know. And sometimes that's good, isn't it? Just to not know that you're being you're being insulted because then you can act more like Jesus. Although he knew exactly what was going on when people were insulting him. Scud is uh, uh, moving quickly as if driven by wind or storm. And some of you will remember that, that that's the name of the missiles that were used by Iraq in the 1990s uh, Desert Storm War. Words can be like missiles. They can cause damage from a great distance. And uh, we need to understand that uh, our words have an impact on people's lives. James' letter is wisdom for Christian living. Let me take just a moment and explain a little bit about this. Like Proverbs uh, in the Old Testament, James is a response with with God being the one towards which we live. It's a response. It's calling for response. So the difference between like James and Romans is Romans is giving us great doctrinal statements and telling us things about God. I'll explain that more in just a second. What you'll see here is that in James, there are 15 times that God is mentioned, and just about the same amount, uh, either Jesus and Lord are mentioned, okay? So you've got about 30 occurrences in this whole book, but they're kind of scattered through, and the, the main point of James is not to give us big doctrinal statements. Did you know that? So there are some doctrinal statements, like that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above, who is the Father of heavenly lights, he doesn't cast shifting shadows. He's, he's unchanging, in other words. So James tells us that in a, a roundabout way, but most of this book is very practical. It's very practical. There are references to God throughout, but they're, they're not as straightforward as you might find in Romans. And if you want to be a real grammar nerd, if you want to nerd out on the grammar, you can do that here. You're going to see in the structure of the sentences that God is usually not the subject acting on objects, but that we are called to act upon what God has done, okay? So this is the difference. When you see, if, if I were to explain that a little clearer, it would be this, that when God is the subject acting on object, you get sentences like, God so loved the world, okay? That's proclamation. We proclaim, and there, there's places for that in Scripture. But you know that not all of Scripture is like that. Some of Scripture is, is us responding to what God has done, 
when God is the object, it sounds like this, submit yourselves to God. Okay, so you're the subject that's acting. We're acting by submitting ourselves to God or draw near to God or humble yourself before the Lord. So this letter is really about us responding to God who has given every good gift. So what we do with our our mouths, what we do with our words, it ought to be a response to who God is and what he's done for us. Okay, And so when we see this, it looks a little different. And it's only because what James is assuming here is everything that Romans has proclaimed. Okay, He's assuming that we understand that Christ has died for us, that he's done the work of salvation for us. Now he's talking about response. Now, James was written before Romans, but I'm saying all of the the teaching that surrounds the cross, that's all in place, okay, as part of the environment in which James comes. But now he's saying, how do we respond to all of that? So it's like a fish just assumes the water that they swim in. And so Christians, they live and move and breathe in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So for something more doctrinal on the same topic, more straightforward, you can go to Ephesians, but don't do it now. Because let's deal with this passage. First of all, in SCUD, okay? So this is kind of a, a lame acronym here, but I think it hits the point, right? Makes the point, is subversive, subversive. I want you to notice in verses 2, 1 and 2, that the tongue, our mouths, our words can be subversive, okay? Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly, we all stumble in many ways, which, by the way, it's interesting because right here, there's a present tense verb. We stumble, not we did stumble. We stumble still in many ways, okay? Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep the whole body in check, okay? So he's talking about here um, that we do stumble, and probably the way that we stumble more than any other way could be in the things we say. And if you think about practical Christian experience, you'll see that this is true, in that we may get over and get past, like if you had kleptomania and you just like to steal things, okay? In your Christian walk, there's going to be a point at which you say, let him who stole steal no more, but labor with his hands to have to give to those who are in need. And you're going to live by that and stop stealing. But one of the most difficult things to have happen is when we, we are grown past some of those sins of the flesh and sins of the mind, and we continue on to offend people with our words. Okay? It's difficult. We, we have to learn to be mature, and so Christian maturity may come progressively, but we ought to be tackling that through the power of the Holy Spirit, and He will help us to do it, and we'll talk more about that in a moment. But without the Holy Spirit, this is, this is an empty... Um, pursuit. We can't really fully do it because even if we can mask our language in ways that are flowery and treat people nice, still the source at the heart, if it's not dealt with, we can still have hatred in our heart. We can still have the source be rotten and so that we may not say it to their face, but we might say it to somebody else. Or we might say it, uh, think the thought, and even talk about it uh, with ourselves or other people. And that's another kind of sin altogether. So this is subversive. So what does teaching have to do with the rest of this chapter? Because, like, he's talking about the tongue. What does teaching have to do with all of that? 
and it's, it is a little surprising he starts with this, but it makes sense if you think about it. A Christian teacher is supposed to use their words to build people up, right? Okay. That's what's supposed to happen. A Christian teacher is supposed to build people up, but the untamed tongue tears people down. And so he's saying we will be judged, and those who are teaching will be judged even harsher. And so you could see why a teacher would receive a greater judgment, since teachers have some influence, and what's said about God matters more than anything else that you can say. And if you foul that up, you could be affecting somebody's eternity. Okay, If you're teaching somebody the wrong things about God, or you're somehow undermining your authority or God's goodness by how you live or what you say outside of that context. Because, you know, a person could come up and preach and say, really, you know, God so loved the world and he loves the worst kind of sinner, and then go and talk bad about somebody and dismiss them in another context. And that leads to confusion because you've got two different messages coming from it. Okay. Second thing is you could see why teachers would receive a greater judgment because what's said about God and what's said about other people may be inconsistent. That's the point that I was just trying to make and can cause confusion. So the words we say at other times can be subversive to the message we preach. And so he's saying don't strive to be that because the struggle with the tongue is such a difficult one. We need God's help. So he's arguing that. I use the word subversive here, and it means to to undermine principles. There's there's different um, ways this can be this word can be applied, but one of the ways that is defined in the dictionary is to undermine principles. And that's what the tongue can do. It can undermine our principles. We have the principle within Christianity that that God dignified people with his image. Okay, it says that at the very end of our passage here, doesn't it? That we bless God and we curse men who are made in the image of God. Okay. One of the things that we as Christians need to understand is that nobody is valueless. And value is not based upon vocation. Okay? You, you understand what I mean by that? That a person's valuable even in God's eyes because they're made in God's image regardless of how they live in this world. Whether they contribute or are a drain on this world, they're valuable. Whether they're the worst kind of sinner or a perfected saint in the image of God, they're valuable because we bear the image of God. And so we have that. And how can we run people down when they're made in the image of God? You see? Uh, where this is going. So it undermines undermines the gospel principles. The second principle is that God loves people through costly sacrifice. And you could see where this is going is that he was willing when people were fallen. And I think Gary read this this morning, that when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God made us alive with Christ. Is that he sought us out in our ugliness. He He found us and he paid through costly sacrifice to redeem us. And then God calls, the third principle is that God calls broken people back to himself for relationship, right? He doesn't write them off. He doesn't dismiss them. He pursues them, okay? And that's really important to understand is that this is what God wants to do. And with our words, we can at times write people off as if they're lost causes. And I think this must come close to the understanding of what Jesus meant when he said that we're not to judge people, to write them off as irredeemable, Okay. Now, you can examine what their life looks like. You can say, look, that behavior is not consistent with God's nature. That's wrong behavior. It doesn't look like from your continual sin that you're really a Christian. But we don't judge by writing them off as irredeemable. 
That's what we need to be careful of. And so it becomes subversive when our tongue runs contrary to these principles of the gospel. These principles get undermined when we, with our words, say something different. So here's how we trace the logic of that whole teacher thing is in, in these verses is you kind of have to do it backwards. Faultless speech is the final goal of the disciplined life. Okay, God wants to perfect our heart in such a way that um, when we speak, we're offering um, praise to him that's like a sweet-smelling savor, and that when we minister to others, that it's, it's always with grace. I think Ephesians or Colossians says, seasoned with salt. That it may that it may benefit the hearers. Okay, so faultless speech is the final goal of the Christian life. Christians, including teachers, James says we stumble. He's including himself in many ways. Okay, and then he says teachers will be judged more strictly. So be careful about how our words can undermine these things. The point here is not to avoid being teachers. That's not the point. The point here is that if you're going to be careless with your words, you better not be a teacher. Okay, be careful. And he's he's speaking to all Christians here and saying that we need to be careful about how we use our words and let God transform our heart and by doing that, transform our speech. The point of this passage is that the tongue is dangerous and difficult and duplicitous. Okay, notice the, the next word is catastrophic, catastrophic. There's subversive. The tongue can be subversive. It can undermine what we're trying to do as Christians and and um, as we, if you're a parent, if you're teaching your kids that God loves everybody and at the same time talking bad about people, um, there's a conflict, okay? So it's subversive. And, and it, it reminds me of a situation we found ourselves in at another church before we came here that somebody was inviting people to church and then at work, and then they would go to work and talk b- real bad about how the, bad the church was. Oh, but you should come. Wonderful, right? It's uh, subversive. And then it's catastrophic. Look at verses 3 through 6. When we put bits in the mouths of horses, we make them obey us. We can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they're large, they're driven about by strong winds, they're steered by a small rudder. Okay? And then whenever a pilot, wherever the pilot wants it to go, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider... What great forest is set on fire by a small spark? The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body and sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Okay, James says uh, three things here. I think it's three. There's two things here with different parts. I think I wrote the three before I finished my thought, so... Um, he, he writes two things here. The first thing that he writes, and you, you just read it with me, is that small things can affect the course of big things. Okay? Is that true? Look at the examples that he's used here. Horses. You put a bit in the horse's mouth. It's small, but you can move that whole huge animal by doing so. Okay? Small things can change the course of big things. And here it, it has listed the rider, wherever the rider wants to go, okay? And then ships are directed by this small rudder, and it moves it wherever the pilot wants it to go. The ship is big, the rudder is small. Small things can affect the course of big things. And James is talking about now the tongue. A tongue is small, but it can steer life like a rudder, 
the human tongue, I, I looked this up because I thought, small things. Um, did you want to know this? You might be grossed out by this. Some of you nurses might know this. The average weight of a tongue um, on males, you're going to be surprised by this. 99 grams. Okay. And females, 79 grams. The average size, weight of the tongue. And that uh, averages to just under a quarter of a pound. Think about all the weight that we've been trying to lose in our lives that's been a problem. And here we've got this little thing that will cause so much struggle in our lives. And the answer, the thing that he's reflecting on here, he doesn't mention. He mentions horses having the rider and the ships having the pilot. But then the, he leaves the tongue free because it's kind of implied. Like the question is, who's guiding it? Who's guiding what you say? Is it your mind? Is it what's on your mind now? There's a philosophy in today's world that believes that you need to express yourself. Okay? Anybody heard that? Express yourself. I think there's even a song about it. And you've got to do that. And you've got to be you. And you've got to say what's on your mind. And nobody should stop you from saying what's on your mind. And you shouldn't stop yourself. It's not healthy. Theodore Dalrymple, who's a psychiatrist in Great Britain, he worked in the prison system and uh, in the prison hospitals there, and he calls this the hydraulic theory of human nature, that if you don't express yourself, there's pressure building up inside of you. And if you don't, one day you're going to blow up. You need to get it out. I'm telling you, we bought into this, that we think that if we don't express ourselves, one day we're going to really blow up. And you know what they find is that, yeah, people might feel a little happier for a moment if they express themselves, but usually it causes greater problems socially. And then they're unhappier in the long run. That somehow by not expressing themselves, they subdue that part of their nature. And listen, here's the interesting thing. He's not a Christian. And I think he has a very, I think he's got a very Pauline type understanding of human nature. Is that we don't overcome by giving into our fallen nature. We overcome by denying it and dying to it. Okay. So a lot of people have this concept that I've just, I've got to say what's on my mind. No, we don't have to. Not if it's going to be hurtful. I'm not suggesting, being quiet is not the same as lying. Are you with me? Like sometimes we feel like, well, if I've got to say, there are situations where the spirit is prompting you to speak up and say something. That's different than I got to be me. A lot different. And so we need to ask ourselves, who is the pilot is it the Lord or is it myself? Is my fallen, am I letting my fallen human nature creep up off the altar? That corpse crawling back in? We're to, we're to uh, reckon ourselves dead to sin and we're to put to death the old nature so that we may live to God. We talked a little bit about that last week. He mentions another example here. The forests are set on fire by a small spark. Don't we know it here in Alaska, right? And then he says, the tongue is a fire. And then he explains that by saying a world of right unrighteousness among the members. It corrupts the whole body. And when it says corrupts, uh, it uses the word here for stains. So you might have a really great character and reputation in a lot of areas, but if you can't constrain your what you say, it's a huge mark on who you are. That's what James is saying here is that it corrupts. Uh, it corrupts us. It's a stain upon the whole body. Um, 
altogether. And the, t- the tongue does that, and it sets a fire to the course of our lives. And how many know that people's lives have been ruined by things that have been said? Okay, and it's set on fire by hell. What he's suggesting is that in fallen human nature, uh, the devil often gets his way. That's what he's saying here, is that it's set on fire by hell. When we just say whatever we want to, you think you're winning, but you're not winning. It's the devil who wins. When we say what God wants us to, God, that's a victory for the Lord. Okay, But when we're just operating in the flesh and we're operating demonically, as he mentions in the verses that follow this passage, that there's a wisdom that comes from above and a wisdom from below. And if we live by one wisdom, it's going to lead to righteousness and peace. And if you live by the other wisdom, it's going to lead to chaos and strife. Okay, those two things. So it's a matter of wisdom. I use the word catastrophe, and um, catastrophe is a word that comes from uh, from Greek um, plays, Greek uh, drama. And in the Greek play, it was the the untidying of everything which led to the big final drama. Okay, so you know, have you ever read like Shakespeare, and they've got different markers within the script and it says, okay, now, you know, the chorus sings or it's a marker to what's going to happen. They would have a marker like that says catastrophe. That's what this portion of the play would represent is the catastrophe. The catastrophe is the time when all things that are tidy are untidied. Let's just call it drama. Okay. That's what the tongue can do is it can produce drama. In the Greek play, it was the untidying of everything which leads to that big drama. And um, if that's not the perfect description of the power of the tongue, I don't know what is. The tongue can use uh, can cause big drama to unfold the untidying of everything in our lives, and we should be aware of its damages. He he mentions that that we can uh, through words we can stir up conflict. And folks, listen, within a church that can be damaging. A, a word that's said, just a passing word, and there are people that are masters of this. They like to. They like to uh, start little fires. I'm glad it's not been like that here. But let's watch our hearts because we don't want that to be the nature of the church. That, that's, that speaks contrary to the principles of what Christian fellowship should be about. We should love one another. And we have to be careful of what we say to one another and say about one another because it can lead to big drama big drama. I've heard stories uh, of churches where they're so divided, like churches split because they couldn't agree on the color of the hymn books. We figured that one out. <laughs> we just put them on, put the words on the screen, right? Um, churches that are divided because words were said that tore to the heart. And so words can cause catastrophe. Notice the next word. So we have C, uh, S and C. The next one is untamable in verses 7 and 8. All kinds of animals and birds and reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Okay. So here he's talking about how it's amazing that we can tame these um, creatures that are not human to do certain things and mimic human qualities, but we can't even train ourselves. I don't, know, I don't know if this relates, but I saw some interesting things in Peru. I saw a little girl with a bird in a box. And then we saw when we were walking um, 
this little girl that had, it looked like a little bitty shopping cart. And she was pulling up by a string, and there was a hamster in it. And I thought, what kind of hamster just wants to stay in there? Why doesn't it run away? Maybe she trained it. I don't know. But we can train things like that. But we have a hard time training our own tongues. And it says that no one, no human being can tame the tongue. I'll talk about that in just a second. But let's talk about this first, the end part of this. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Here, the word that's used for poison is actually the word that means venom. It's full of venom. And that makes sense in light of the fact that these words are coming from the mouth. And often when there's a snake, the venom is coming from the mouth, right? But let's take toxins in general. Did you know the word toxic? Uh, It has an interesting origin. It comes from the Greek word for archery. And... uh, Toxic does, and the word toxin from the word for a bow. The word in Greek for a bow is toxon. So you can see a little bit of the connection there. And these two are connected because archers used to dip their arrows in poison to readily wound their, to, to really wound their enemies. And so that if a person survived the initial blow, they might not survive the toxic infection. It's an ancient form of biological warfare, isn't it? And we've kind of perfected that. If we think of our words as missiles or arrows, sometimes we put a little venom in them because we want it to stick. We want to be really mean. We want it to hurt, okay, to go beyond the initial blow and to reside. And that's the toxin that sometimes comes from words that we, we say to hurt one another. That's a great picture. Toxic arrows dipped in poison to wound. So like an arrow that's been released, once you've let it go, you can't ever get it back. Once you've let it go, you can't get it back. We used to say when we were kids, did you did you say this? Take that back. Anybody ever say that? Like your friend said something mean to you or mean about your mom? Take that back as if they could rewind that and push it back in, and it would it never happen. You can't. When we get older, we're we're we we're smarter. We realize you can't take some things back. You can't take it back. The arrow has been launched. What is it here that's untamable? Okay, he says the the tongue is untamable. Okay, um, it can't be tamed by mankind. What's untamable? You remember. My Fair Lady, some of you will know this, some others may not, but uh, Eliza Doolittle was taught to speak with received pronunciation and be real fancy and get rid of the Cockney accent. And Is this what we're talking about? No, um, it's not about an accent. It's not even about vocabulary. We can, we can work on our vocabulary. We can improve, if you, if you want to call it that, our accent and get out of an accent that's less preferred and into one that's more uh, welcomed. But that's really not the point of all of this. This has to do with content and heart of what's being spoken. So when it says untamable, is that absolute? Is, is James saying there's no hope for you? What would be, be the point of this passage? To just tell us how bad we are. Man, you guys can't get it together. All you do is say hurtful things. What's the point of that? There's not a point to that. But he says something very specific here that I hope you latched on to. It says, uh, it says here, and let's just read it. Um, 
Let's see. But no human being can tame the tongue. No human being can tame the tongue. It says all kinds of animals have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. Are you getting it? No human being can tame the tongue. What is, what is that suggesting here? It means by mankind, like human control is what's being highlighted here. No human can control it. But that's not hopeless because God can change us. God can change our heart. You know, we can do better, and we, we need to participate in this change. It's, it's not as if we stand back and, and, you know, while we're sleeping, God reprograms our, our heart. We have to participate in this because you see several times when in Scripture um, something is said about what God's going to do, and then something's commanded related to it. Are you with me? Okay, so here's some folksy wisdom from down home, okay? Number one is let's think before we speak. Okay, all of you ever said that to your kids? Think, think before you speak. Somebody runs off and says something that is totally inappropriate at the wrong time. Uh, number two, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. I want to amend that because sometimes in speaking on behalf of God or about the things of God, we have to say things that are not so nice, like that we're all fallen in our sin and we're we're doomed to hell. It's not very nice. But maybe we could say if we don't have anything beneficial to say, don't say anything at all. Beneficial means that which will help, that which is good for someone else. Then a third thing, and this is really important in light of what I said about our current climate with this express yourself motto, is that it's not so important that you express yourself, is that you're understood. Okay, and so that leads to this one is consider how others might hear what you say. You know, you might say, well, it's not up to me to in- get. No, we need to try to encode it. Lo- the law of love demands that we try to speak in a way that other people will understand. Okay? And the law of love on the other side is that we try to hear it the way that it's said. Anybody been in an argument? It's never happened at our house where somebody has said something and you intentionally took it the wrong way so you could be offended. I hear about this happening all over the place in books that I'm reading, but we've never had that happen at 6501. You know what I'm talking about? We can intentionally take things the wrong way or say them the wrong way in order, because you know the trigger buttons in your relationships. So when we speak, let's consider how others might hear what we say. We don't get a pass just because we were honest to our heart. Well, I was sincere. You can be really sincere and say dreadful things. We don't get a pass just because it's true. We have to say not only what it's tr- what's true, but we have to speak the truth in love, and then we'll build one another up. Come on, true? Speak the truth in love. And then saying everything you're thinking is not a virtue. Okay? That's another really important piece of wisdom, saying everything you're thinking is not a virtue. And then fifth, typed words are no less serious than spoken words. Okay? And here's something to consider is that when something's on a screen or a text, it's more easily misunderstood because you don't have the encoding of tone or any kinds of uh, expressions that go along with it. It's easier to misunderstand, and it's usually more permanent for everyone to see at least. 
And a person can replay something that's said in their mind, but you can easily go back and you can look at a screen and say, ooh, they said that. And you replay that over and over again in your mind. So I want to encourage us as Christians, be careful not to take disputes to Facebook or social media. Come on, are you hearing me? Whether it's political or personal or relational or whatever it is, that's not the place to air grievances. Come on, please hear me. We need a real change of heart from God. Often, uh, the work is already being done once we surrender. Okay? He's beginning to change our heart. He's, he's taking out the bitter waters, and he's putting in sweet. Here's the fourth thing. So you notice we have S, uh, C, U, and then D is for duplicitous. Okay, duplicitous. Look at, look at what it says in verses 9 through 12. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives and a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Here he's talking about how if you want to know what something is, what kind of fruit it's going to produce, you've got to go to the source. Okay? So if it's salt water coming out, it's a salty spring. If it's fresh water, it's a fresh spring. If it's a fig that you're getting on the plant, then it's a fig tree. And so the connection is that the fruit will match the source. Can you see how that relates to what we say? That what's coming out of our mouths, if it's corrupt, it reflects a corrupt source that needs to be dealt with by God. Now, you might be a Christian, but God needs to do some more sanctifying work on the inside, okay? And we need to surrender to him for that and let him begin to do that and cooperate with him in what he's asking us to do. But it's duplicitous, and duplicitous means uh, contradictory doubleness of speech, okay? A lot of times when we hear duplicitous, we have the nuance of deception, and that's the way it a lot of times is used is when you're duplicitous, you're, you, you're saying one thing, but you're meaning something else because you're wanting to deceive, okay? But it doesn't have to be that specific. It can be just very general to say you're speaking out of both sides of your mouth, okay? The focus on our language in this passage, I hope you'll notice, is uh, it has to do with what we say to other people. And so you can see that, that from the larger context. In chapter 2, it talks about the law of love, uh, the law being fulfilled by loving your neighbor as yourself. And in chapter 4, in talking of, it talks about fighting and slandering one another and the wisdom that uh, comes from uh, below. So make no mistake, the main concern here isn't using four-letter words. That's not the main concern. It's not saying you should use those. You hear, what I, you hear what I'm saying? It's not saying that you should just be free to just use any kind of bad language. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the focus here is on relational language. Okay? It's not even on uh, positive confession. That's not what this is talking about here, even though I've heard lots of sermons about that. That's not what it's talking about here. This is talking about relational language, how you talk to one another okay? with talk. And there's a balance to this because sometimes we've got to be a little bit, have a little tougher skin. Okay? Can you hear another side of the argument for a moment? Let's be tough-skinned and tender-hearted. Okay? We can't run around letting everything offend us. That's our Christian responsibility, not to be offended at everything that comes down the pike. Amen? We're not to be snowflakey and easily offended and 
microaggressions somehow send us over the edge. We're not to be that way. Amen? Okay. On the other side of things, the law of love requires that we say things that are not hateful and hurtful. Okay. We can't, we have to be careful of those things because our words can damage somebody else's potential. I don't mean that somebody's super offended because we took a different viewpoint than them. I'm talking about when we say things intending to hurt them and they're hurt, or even things that are not intended. Imagine how many people growing up have said things to you. I know when I was growing up, part of it was my fault because I didn't, I was lazy. But I got the impression from my teachers that I wasn't very smart. And then I reinforced that by laziness. And then they said I wasn't very smart, and I reinforced that further by more laziness. And then I started to believe that. And when, when I came to Christ, I started to want to read. And I realized maybe I'm not as dumb as I thought. Maybe I'm smarter than I thought. And I'm not saying I'm at genius level or anything, but I think that what people said about me was probably untrue. You know what I mean? And so, but those, those things sunk deep and probably caused me in some ways to squander some years. I have responsibility in it because I let it offend me. And some others have responsibility in it for what they said. And when we have places of influence and authority, what we say, like if you're a parent, what you say to your kids can help shape their future. And so you have to be very careful. And that doesn't mean that it's got to be nicey-nicey all the time because otherwise they won't be great performers in life. There's an interesting irony in all of this is that we're in a very let's applaud everything and everybody gets a trophy kind of society. And um, they found that with Korean students, their parents are not, they don't praise them very much. And that Korean students outperformed American students in almost every way. So how you feel about yourself does not always relate to performance. Okay, so let's get past that and let's all take up responsibility. And if you're a parent, sometimes you've got to say the hard thing and it's going to come across as mean. I thought, I'm saying this from all my parenting experience. All my parenting experience comes from what my parents did to me. And I know that there were times that I wanted to say to them, I hate you. But I know now that they love me and when they spanked me, I deserved it. And I got away with a lot of things that I deserve spankings for. Anybody else? Okay, like... Like, if justice were really done, it would have been a lot worse. Right? Anybody relate to that? So, but when we use words, we can damage somebody's potential. We can diminish somebody's faith. Okay? If you lead them away from God and his plan for them, you can destroy someone's reputation. This happened. I don't know how people can live with themselves that work in news media because without a thought, without conscience, it seems that they will just tell all the truth that they know and like in in it's justified by the public has a right to know well maybe in some cases they do but in other cases it's just downright mean and it destroys people's lives okay you can destroy reputations you can just devastate relationships between people by just a passing comment about did you hear what they said about you let's be careful about that let's be peace bringers and not those who divide. Remember what Jesus said, that the peacemakers be called children of God. Here's kinds of sins that have to do with the tongue. I noticed that there were nine. I don't think these directly correspond to the gifts of the Spirit uh, as antonyms to that, but you can see some examples of this. These are techniques used by the enemy 
to tear down people. Okay. Blasphemy and slander. Did you know that the same word that blasphemy is, is usually when we understand blasphemy, it's when we say things that are defamatory uh, towards God. Okay. Tearing down his character in the eyes of other people. But do you know the word for slander in Greek is blasphemoi? It's the same word for God and for people. So when we defame them in the eyes of other people, slander and blasphemy, coarse joking in Ephesians 5, this is talking about uh, usually sex jokes that drag uh, sex into the dirt. Okay, and coarse joking, uh, boasting. Boasting is when you talk about yourself and how great you are, how smart you are, right? Boasting. And then um, corrupt speech coming out of your mouth. This is just unwholesome talk. It doesn't specify exactly what this is, but unwholesome talk coming out of your mouth. Gossip. Gossip is, you know what gossip is, when you talk to other people about someone else. And listen, gossip the word gossip does not imply that it's untrue. We think sometimes it's not gossip because it's true. That's not, that's not true. You can say the truth and it still be gossip because it's not necessary or beneficial to a situation. And there's lying when we, mis- we misrepresent the truth to our own advantage. False prophecy and false teaching, those things go together. Okay, it's when we misrepresent God and the gospel. These are sins of the tongue, and they all affect other people. Swearing, okay, this has to do with making a claim, and usually the, you're going to say, how does this relate to relationships? By this, um, if you ever said to somebody, no, I swear to God, you're trying to convince them that your words now have this much more weight. Jesus says, when you always tell the truth, you don't need to do that. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't add to it by adding some degree of now you've really got to pay attention to me because I said I swear to God. We don't, do, we don't need to do that. and We shouldn't do that. It's a form of manipulation, and that brings us to the last one here is flattery, which is another form of manipulation when you tell people false praise in order to manipulate them. Okay? Those things are the sins that have to do with the tongue. James tells us in verses 11, 12, that this is an issue of the heart. He doesn't give us the solution here. He doesn't say it right in this passage that we're looking at, but he's already alluded to it, and he will in the next portion of, of Scripture, the next passage, he's going to tell us how we, can deal, how we can deal with the tongue. And so the first mention of it is in James 1, 21. He says, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Don't merely listen to the word. Do what it says. So he's telling us the remedy here to the wrong kind of heart, which all of this letter mentions wrong hearts, wrong behaviors. The solution to it, receive the word and let it change you. Okay, Receive the word. James 4, 7 through 10 says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Okay, Purify your hearts. Have a singleness of heart towards the things of God. And then it says, grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. How do we deal with a heart like that? 
we've got to humble ourselves and submit to the Lord, okay? When we do, what we're expecting of him to do is to come in and change our heart. Part of the reason we have this kind of speech is there's pride in our heart, okay? Somebody looks better than us, we need to knock them down a notch. Let's talk about them. Let's get them out of the way. They can't be on equal footing with me. Too important, okay? Pride gets in the way of that. Pride also doesn't like to be wrong, Anybody that with me on that? We don't like to be wrong. We've got kind of this God complex, like the whole world hinges on us being right about everything. But it doesn't. And so, you know, sometimes we'll argue with people and we'll um, fight with them and take them down a notch because we don't want to be wrong. Okay, and so... Here God says that he will lift us up. If we'll humble ourselves before him, he'll lift us up. If we'll lay our heart before him, he'll give us a new heart. If we'll die to ourselves, we can live for him. This is the way that this work works. Um, so who is it that has your tongue? The one who has your tongue is the one who is in control of your whole life. Who is it? Is it you or is it God? Yeah. I think it's an important question to ask if we're disciples because when Jesus is working a work of grace in your heart, it's going to change how you talk. It will change how you see people, change how you think about the world, okay? Because when he's working, it changes how you talk. I like the way the NIV translates that, Matthew 20, uh, 12, 34. Remember, Matthew 1, 2, 3, 4, if you want to remember the reference here. The, out of the mouth, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. What's in your heart? What's in your heart? Wisdom from heaven and a relationship with the God of heaven, or is it worldly? If that's true, what's in your heart? Let me ask you these three questions. Why don't you stand with me as I ask you? Number one, are you walking in fellowship with Christ? If we're not, man, we've got a disaster waiting to happen in a lot of fronts. Are you walking in fellowship with Christ? There's no hope for taming the tongue without the help of Christ. Number two is, are you spending time in his presence? Okay, This related to that. Like, If you're going to have a relationship with somebody, you've got to spend time together. You need to spend time with the Lord in his presence. This is going to look like prayer and meditation. It's going to look like checking out of the busyness of life, spending time with him. A third thing, a third question is, are you renewing your mind with his word? Okay, folks, we have to be reading the word. Otherwise, we're getting more and more worldly. If we're not reading the word, we're getting worldly. That's just the way that it is because the word renews our minds. Okay, and then the fourth thing is, this is a, a question kind of related to it is, are you filling up on stuff that will affect your thinking? Okay. Have you thought about this? Entertainment. We can fill up on garbage. And garbage in, garbage out. Okay. So we have to be careful what it is that we're consuming. I'm not suggesting you have to watch Christian television all the time. Sometimes there are things on there that are far more damaging than <laughs> what you might see on Netflix. It's true because it gives wrong perceptions about what God is like. But so does the world, and they have different things that they say about people. I noticed something when I was uh, growing up that a lot of the sitcoms that were on TV got laughs out of insulting people and belittling people. Anybody else notice that? 
that the meaner you were, the bigger the laugh. And so somehow that got celebrated and infused in our culture and our way of thinking. And so we have to be careful with that. And let me suggest to you, too, I know you're going to think I'm anti-political. I'm not. I have a position. But if you're only listening to heated political talk radio all the time, I wouldn't be surprised if you're angry a lot. Okay? So we have to be careful what we take in as a diet. Okay? We're not going to fix the world's problems. Only Jesus can do that. So let him do that and let him change us along the way. Amen. All right, bow your heads with me. Father, thank you for these challenging words. We want to be better as Christians. We want to love one another, not only with sincere heart, but with sincere words, words that will build up. Let our words always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that it may benefit the hearer. And I pray, Lord, because you've given us this great responsibility of being mouthpieces for you to a world that's lost, that we would understand the gravity of this calling and that you would cause us to be in pursuit of full discipleship, that we want to be discipled not only in our behavior, but in our thinking and in our words. Today we lay our heart before you. We ask you to change it once again. Would you continue to renew us as we think about your word? It says in a continual form that we need to continually be renewing our mind. And so we pray you help us to do that as we seek you out. In Jesus' name, amen. I, I want to open the altars up, but I want to get rid of a stigma that may go with this because you might say, well, if they go to the altar, they're admitting that they've said something bad about somebody. No. What I want us to come to the altar for is to say, Lord, please take my heart and take my words and use them for your glory. Okay? And if you need to deal with something along the way, that's between you and the Lord. Deal with it. But we need to be pure in our hearts. And we need to have words that will that are even prophetic to our day. You know, and I don't mean that in a weird sense. I mean that in the sense that we can speak the oracles of God to very heart matters. And God can use us in that way. But if we're doing that in one setting and doing something else in another that's damaging, we're sending mixed messages to the world. We don't want to be that way. So God purify our language. Let it be glorifying to you. These altars are open. If you've never met Jesus as Lord and Savior, would you say to him today, I plead with you, say to him today, be merciful to me, a sinner. Come into my life. Take my heart and change it so that I may be glorifying to you. He died on the cross for you. He loves you. And uh, he'll come in through the power of the Holy Spirit and transform your life if you'll let him. And that's a great starting place for all of us. So we want to respond to him in the way that he's pleading with us today. These altars are open. Take a few moments before you go. Amen. I was thinking as I was praying that a lot of times a kind word and a humble heart can diffuse a lot of situations. And so if we respond in ways that are kind and and just realizing that our default um, usage for our words is to build people up. That's default, not to tear people down. Okay? So let's pray for God's help in that. Lord, may the words of our mouths and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen.
you for joining us today. If this ministry has impacted you, we would love to hear about it. You're welcome to message us at akmaranatha.com forward slash contact or message us on Facebook at Maranatha Full Gospel Fellowship. We pray you are blessed by the message and have a wonderful week.